Welcome to the Bridge Church online service. We're thrilled that you can join us. Uh, we are uh, in this season looking forward to and even longing for the day when we can all be together again and celebrate together and, uh, and just enjoy each other's company in the presence of God. And uh, it makes us miss church the way that it was, but it's coming and we are gathering together, some of us outside and, and hopefully uh, you can join us soon. Um, but uh, after COVID is done, we'll be gathering together without the hindrances of this season. But for now, we're thankful that you've joined us online. Last summer, uh, we got together as a family to celebrate my mom's birthday. And Jeannie and I woke up in the morning and went over to Walmart and got waters, uh, packages of waters for the celebration. And then we went to an outdoor venue where we gathered as a family and finished that event, came home, and we were sitting around the kitchen table, Jeannie and I and Sam and Emma, and, uh, and all of a sudden Jeannie realizes that her diamond is missing. Uh, the diamond that I gave her in 1985, um, in the promise that we would be married in 1986. And, uh, and she began to be anxious and concerned and fearful and we went to Walmart, we drove to Walmart and thought maybe it came out while we were picking up the packages of water and we looked around the waters. We asked up front, have you found this diamond? Um, it wasn't a big diamond, I wasn't a wealthy man, it was a little diamond and, and uh, we looked underneath the, uh, the racks where the water was, we looked in the dust, so, you know, we didn't know if they had cleaned up already um, and swept. So we, we looked there, then we went over to the venue where we met and everywhere we thought we had sat and we held flashlights looking in the grass and hoping we would see by some small chance we would see the sparkle of the diamond. Uh, as it grew darker and darker in that evening and we walked around with flashlights, um, we started to despair of finding the diamond. Well, a couple of days later, Jeannie was walking by a rug that, was, uh, that went out on our deck by the sliding glass door and she saw Sparkle and, uh, and she looked down and as uh, God would have it, uh, she found that diamond. Uh, in that rug uh, before we had had a chance to vacuum that rug. You see, Jesus is looking for sinners right now like we would look for that diamond or we would look for that thing that was precious, that was lost, that each one of us is precious to Jesus and that's how we can say that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Well, how is it that the tax collectors and the scribes are so uh, troubled and are grumbling by the fact that he is a friend of sinners. Jesus now addresses that with three parables and we're gonna look at the first parable in chapter 15 of Luke. If you'd begin with me in chapter 15, beginning in verse one, I'm gonna read the seven verses that we're gonna be preaching on today. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, what man of you Having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Would you join me in prayer as we begin? Heavenly Father, would you help us to understand your heart for people who are steeped in sin and without hope? Would you help us to be familiar with your heart for us who have been chosen out of a life of sin? And would you give us your love for those who are lost as well and are awaiting to hear and respond to your great invitation of grace? In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want to look at is the one who is disappointed in God's plan of salvation. There are those who were disappointed in the message of Jesus Christ, in the presentation of the kingdom of God. In this passage, we have those who are flooding to Jesus and those who are disappointed in Jesus and who are struggling with Jesus gathered together and Jesus begins to speak. Who is the one who is disappointed in God's plan of salvation? In verse 1 it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Luke points out that the tax collectors and sinners continually were drawing near to Jesus to hear his teaching, to eat with him, to be received by him, even to be put as, as his disciples, to be accepted as his disciples. These tax collectors and sinners well, who were the tax collectors? The tax collectors were those Israelites who had chosen to be in the employ of the Romans and collect their wages and the wages of the Romans, the taxes of the Romans, from their neighbors, from their fellow Israelites. They were considered to be awful people. In chapter 18 and verse 11, uh, when speaking of the, the Pharisee and the publican who prays on the side, the Pharisee describes tax collectors alongside of robbers, evildoers, and adulterers. Tax collectors were considered to be re re moving away from their faith, from, their, from the nation of Israel, aligning themselves from the powerhouse who is holding uh, the Israelites captive at this point and, and demanding taxes from them. And it's in ways aligning with the enemy. And tax collectors were considered the worst of the worst. And Jesus had already chosen a tax collector to be one of his disciples, one of the twelve, Matthew. Luke is pursuing, I mean Jesus is pursuing sinners throughout the, the, the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 5, verses 9 through, 29 through 32, we see Jesus reaching out to the, the sick and the lame and the, and the sinner and the lost. And the tension is already beginning. In chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, the same thing again. And in chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, again, he is aligning himself through, with sinners. But in verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. His response is simple. These are the people that I came for. I came for those who were lost. I came for the sinners. This has been a continual job of Jesus throughout his ministry to pursue and to seek those who are sick, those who are hurting, those who are sinners, and accept them 
to be with him. Now, where is the problem? What's the tension? That seems pretty, like, magnanimous. That seems kind. That seems generous. Why aren't the Pharisees saying, yeah, let's go get them. Let's go get the hurting. Let's go get the sick. Well, in Psalm chapter 1, we begin to see why there's a tension. In Psalm chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm chapter 1, the whole argument is for those who are seeking a relationship with God and a right relationship with God and to be blessed by God should surround themselves with others who seek a right relationship with God to be blessed by God and to walk with God. Is it wrong for the Pharisees to distance themselves from the tax collectors and the sinners? Is it wrong for them to be frustrated with Jesus? In Proverbs 1, 15 and 16, it says, My son, do not walk with them in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. In Proverbs 4, 14 and 15, it says, Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. And here is Jesus walking on the way with the wicked, walking on the path with the sinner and with the tax collector. And if you think, well, that's just Old Testament and Jesus is changing the way it was in the Old Testament, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. The tension is, is that as they read in the Old Testament and look at the law of God, there is an admonition for the one who would choose to be right with God to keep their path clear of those who do not want to walk with God. They are to reject those who are not walking with God. But a closer, with a closer look at it, I want you to know that those passages that I just read have to do with our own hearts as we walk. Don't walk in a way that you... In, and like join them in the sin. Don't walk in a way, Jesus didn't walk by the tax collector's booth and say to Matthew, let me join you in your tax collecting. He didn't walk by the sinner's path and say, let me join you in your sin. And the admonition that's found in Psalms and Proverbs and 1 Corinthians is that we would not be taken over by sin, that we would not, in, in Proverbs, he's speaking to his son. Son, do not walk in that path. Do not follow them in their path. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is seeking to save them. And the Pharisees had gotten to a place where they didn't care about them. They just wanted to distance themselves from them. And that was not the heart of God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled. They kept grumbling. This was an ongoing state for them, saying that this man receives sinners and eats with them. This man makes himself unclean, unsafe. We shouldn't be following him and nobody else should be following him. 
But if they were to look just a little bit closer, they would see that people's lives are being changed and people are moving away from their sin and they're receiving Christ and are being saved. The one who is disappointed in God's plan of salvation is the one who is losing position and losing their power. You see, they've worked hard to be considered safe. They've worked hard to be welcome at the finest meals. And by Jesus accepting the sinners and accepting the tax collectors, he is in many ways tainting their society, tainting their position. And if they were to join Jesus in accepting the sinners and accepting the tax collectors, it would be to give up their position in the society. There is an element here where these people are more concerned about what people think of them than what God thinks of them. The one who is disappointed in God's plan of salvation is the one that sees God not aligning with their plan of salvation. Their plan of salvation is that God would choose the same way that they chose. That he would pick the ones that were invited to their feasts. That, they would pick, that God would pick the ones and align themselves with the ones that they consider clean, that they consider healthy. There's a scene from the Titanic, uh, the movie, not from the actual, um, from the last movie that uh, James Cameron Dick directed. Uh, there's a scene in that movie where the lifeboats are being filled half full, and that's true. That's a true fact. Uh, and it was filled first with upper class people. And there's a scene where a lady says as they're being seated, will we be seated according to class? Will we be seated according to class? She is, the, the ship is going down. People are going to die. And, and she's worried about not blending classes financially. The ship is going down and the Pharisees and the scribes are worried about being seated according to class. They're worried about the lifeboats being filled and if you know the story from uh, the Titanic, there weren't enough positions on the lifeboats to save everybody. But there were 20 lifeboats that could have accommodated easily 1178 people without taxing those lifeboats. There were only 705 that were on the lifeboats. The lifeboats were sent off in the early part, half full. Why? Why did people not get on the boat? Well, some didn't get on the boat, I'm sure, because they didn't recognize the extent of the danger. Some didn't get on the lifeboats and thought, well, surely my plan can save us. My plan was to get on this boat and to to reach shore with this boat and this boat is where I'm going to stay. This feels safer than getting on that lifeboat. And some I'm sure didn't get on the lifeboat because they were prohibited from the upper class to join them when the upper class were the first to be received by those lifeboats. And it was the first ones that left the boat half full. The one who is disappointed in God's plan of salvation in this story is the one who has difficulty receiving that God is accepting from all walks of life, all people, and he's saving any, just get on the boat. 
That is the one who is disappointed in God's plan of salvation. But Jesus is a friend of sinners. Who is the one who rejoices in God's plan of salvation? Well, look with me at verses 3 through 6. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Jesus begins to tell three parables, and he, it's introduced, so he told them this parable, singular. We are to read these three parables to some degree together, and they are description of the heart of God. Jesus is now trying to say, to invite, again, the Pharisees and the scribes to join him in this plan, this wonderful plan of salvation that they are presently rejecting by telling them what the heart of the Father is. He told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Leaving the ninety-nine to go after the one. Does that mean that God does not care about the 99 or the shepherd doesn't care about the 99? Absolutely not. What would have been expected in the first century is that the 99 would have been left in safety in a valley where there are other shepherds or maybe there was more shepherds than just the one caring for the 99. That would have been normal to have more than one shepherd with a hundred sheep. So the, the understanding of the first century mind would have been, well, he's leaving them safe. He's leaving them where they're not in danger. And he's going after the one. The, the point is, is that the shepherd would go out and risk his own health and risk his time, take away his time, cost him time, cost him his comfort, and he would go after the one because the one matters to him. And for this first generation, they would all affirm this, that one sheep does matter. And the expectation is the shepherd would go out for the sheep. So they go out into the open country and he goes after the lost until he finds it. The picture is that there's a continual pursuit. I don't know if this is one night or multiple nights or what it is, but it is a shepherd who is looking for his lost sheep. And there is effort and there is heart involvement, much like us looking for the diamond. If you could have seen us, if you could have felt what we were feeling as we looked for that diamond, if I could express to you the anxiety we felt and and I know that we can replace the diamond. I know that that's not the end of the world. The point is that that little rock is the one that I gave her when we became engaged. It's precious to us. It has a lifetime with us and we don't want to get rid of it easily. It, it's of great value. And if you would have seen our hearts looking for that diamond out at night in a field where we had celebrated, knowing that the chances of finding the diamond are you know, next to none at night with a flashlight. Next to not at all. And yet we looked and we pursued because it mattered to us. And he wants that same understanding to come to his hearers, both the Pharisees and the scribes and the tax collectors and sinners. He wants them all to hear that it is the heart of God expressed through the work of Jesus Christ to pursue tenaciously sinners, the lost. Like everyone matters. That's what he's saying. 
And when he has found it in verse 5, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. The picture is of this shepherd not driving the sheep back home, but picking the sheep up and putting the sheep on its shoulders. Do you see the tender kindness of God? Do you see the loving shepherd that the Father is? Jesus referring back to Isaiah 40 verse 11 where it says of God the Father, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And in chapter 49 of Isaiah, verse 22, it says, Behold, I will lift up my hands to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. It has always been in the heart of God to pursue the lost. It has been always in the heart of God to go after sinners and to redeem. That is the very heart of God. And the kingdom of God comes with re repentance from sin and turning to a God that would carry us home on his shoulders. It's a picture of a father that runs down the road. That's the third parable, the lost son. And when he comes home, verse 6, and he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Maybe this is a little bit of hyperbole for the sheep, but it's not for God. Maybe for a lost sheep, I can tell you with a lost diamond, we called those who were looking with us. We called the uh, Sam and Emma right away and we rejoiced in finding it and, and Jeannie called me right away. I found the diamond and there was immediate joy and rejoicing. But he goes on to celebrate, and in each of these three parables, rejoicing is part of it. And celebration is part of it, and the picture ultimately is one of a celebration meal. And it takes us back just a week in the preaching schedule where we talked about this invitation to the banquet that God is going to throw, that, that Jesus has prepared, the wedding banquet where we are going to be invited and celebrate with God. And who's going to be celebrating the most? God is. Who is the one who celebrates? The one who rejoices in God's plan of salvation is God himself, is Christ. Are those who have received the sheep celebrate? Who are the ones who celebrate? In the plan of God for salvation, those sheep who are receiving the love of God, those who are welcomed home, the, the, the neighbors rejoice, heaven rejoices, God rejoices in God's plan of salvation because he loves you and I. He loves sinners. Finally, there will the one who is rejoiced over in God's plan of salvation in verse 7. The one who is rejoiced over, and this is in opposition to the one who isn't rejoiced over. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Forgive the first misread. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who turns. All of heaven rejoices. 
all of heaven is watching at the, the salvation of God that began in his heart that was accomplished through Christ that works its way down into every people group and every nation and not gender specific and doesn't look at age and doesn't look at where you've lived your life to this point. There is an invitation available to all and all of, joy, all of heaven rejoices when one of you comes home. If you would only know the heart of the Father, and that is what Jesus is putting on display as the tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees and the scribes gather around him. He says to them, don't you know the heart of God? Can't you see heaven rejoicing when one of these that you're offended that they're invited receives their salvation? But there is a second part to this verse that should not be glossed over. And in it is an invitation. It says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is a turn in this parable. This is a shift in the parable. Maybe he's been looking at the tax collectors and the sinners. Do you know how much God wants you? Do you know God's heart for the lost? Do you know that this love that comes from his very being to bring his people together that caused his son to go to the cross and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit agreed to save the lost? For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. At the same time, he points over 99 persons, righteous persons, who need no repentance. He brings it back to the 99 sheep. The sheep, this is a twist because in the story, the 99 weren't lost. The 99 were safe and with other shepherds. And everybody followed the story that yes, yes, I get it. We need to go look for the diamond. But everything else in our household is safe right now. We're just going to look for the diamond. And all of the 99 sheep are safe right now. We're just going to look for the sheep. And all of the 99 people, the Pharisees and the scribes, are safe. We're just going to go look for the sinner. But the turn lets us know that the 99 people only think they're safe. The 99 people only think they need no repentance. They are only living as if they don't need a savior. They're missing the invitation because they don't understand their need. Jesus is trying to wake them up through a parable, trying to show them that you can be rejoiced over today. You can join, you too can draw near to Jesus. But they are offended and they are drawing away from Jesus and they are looking to actually kill Jesus. And today, Maybe Jesus would say the same thing, that all of heaven will rejoice over one sinner. There'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. It is so sad that God has provided a way for us to be saved and so many choose not to receive the invitation. In the first two parables that Jesus tells, he looks at a sheep and he looks at a coin. 
which we'll look at Wednesday night in prayer meeting. And in both cases, you might think, well, those don't really sell it. Why would, why would he use a sheep when he's talking about people? And why would he use a coin when he's talking about eternity? And I think that the reality is, is because I was more concerned about that diamond. That shows me the heart of God more clearly, and maybe the heart of Todd more clearly. I'm more concerned about that diamond than over the people who might be lost around me. I spent more energy looking for that diamond than maybe for the people around me. Maybe I would rejoice over the finding of the diamond more than one sinner turning and repenting. I don't know. But I can tell you what the heart of God is. The heart of God is to seek and save that which is lost. He loves people. He loves this world that he created and that love flows from him. We don't deserve it. He just gives it. And I considered using the Titanic as a better illustration of people choosing not to receive the invitation to live on past this night. There were two hours they had to fill those lifeboats. And the first ones went away half empty. And the last two ended up completely empty. Only 18 lifeboats made it. And so many died who didn't need to die. And I didn't choose to use the Titanic as the introductory illustration because Christ chose to show the absurdity of us not caring for each other who are lost or even our own lives as we are lost. The absurdity that we care more about finding a lost cell phone, lost keys, a lost controller, a lost diamond, than our lost neighbor. Dear friends, I hope that you can see the heart of God for you as a lost sinner. I hope that you've repented. I hope that as one who has repented, I pray that you get a better view of the heart of God for the lost around you. And I get a better heart for the lost of God around me. And I pray that I care more for my neighbors than I do my diamond, my cell phone, my controller, or my keys. I pray that I have more anxiety and pray for them more than I do those things. As we go to prayer, I would hope that we are beginning to get a glimpse the heart of God for the lost and why Jesus is a friend of sinners. He is not a friend of sinners because he doesn't care about sin. He cares, he cares deeply about sin. He cares more about sin than you and I. He is not a friend of sinners so that he can join them in their sin. He is a friend of sinners so that he can draw sinners out through repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Romans 2.4. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for the lost. Thank you for your love for us. 
Help us to rejoice over the things that you rejoice over. Help us to weep over the things that you weep over, the ones that you weep over. Help us to be willing and ready to welcome those who are lost and to encourage them to walk, on, and to walk with Christ and to receive this free invitation to the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for the fact that Jesus loves sinners like the ones who are listening right now and like me. In Jesus' precious name I pray.